Welcome to the Locate 852 podcast, bringing you insights on how you can build and scale your business with social platforms. Hosted by the leading Facebook ad strategist in Hong Kong, entrepreneur, branding expert, and the founder of Locate 852, Chris Chung. We can all agree that sales is a crucial part of any business. More importantly is the ability to close sales. If you have the skill set to be able to close deals on demand, you act as the gatekeeper as to whether or not a transaction takes place, and it's a skill set that is highly sought after and valued by many businesses. Joining us today is Brad Lee, CEO of Lightspeed VT. Brad is a world-class closer and has worked with countless industry titans such as Tony Robbins, Ed Milet, Damon John, and Grant Cardone. He is recognized as the guy that closed the guy that teach you to close. In this episode, Brad shares with us how he got into the world of sales at a young age from selling cars, the four elements you need in order to have effective training, why you should actively seek out problems instead of only solutions, the biggest mistakes that most salespeople make, the difference between active listening versus passive listening, and much more. If you guys are curious as to how I'm able to help businesses scale and grow on-demand leads using Facebook advertising, then go to locate852.com slash ultimate ad template. To download my ultimate ad template that outlines everything you need to know step-by-step in order to create highly converting Facebook ads starting today. As for now, let's get right into the show. Brad, it's great. It's great to have you on the show. Um, And so with all of our guests, we like to just start a little bit with their backstory. And so I know you grew up in Pacific Northwest. What was your upbringing like and how did you get into doing what you're doing now? Well, my upbringing was completely different than from what I'm doing now. We, I kind of grew up in a blue collar family, a uh, lot of, lot of manual labor jobs going around and uh, ultimately fell into sales on accident after I did a hard labor job and realized I didn't like hard labor. Hmm. So ultimately that kind of pushed me in the direction of sales at about 17 years old. And from then on, I was always basically in sales, whether it was art, cars, RVs, you know, whatever. And I also know that you, you actually started selling at a very young age. And I know you, I really enjoy the story about you selling the world's finest candy bars at the age of six. And so for our audience that has yet to hear it before, can you just share with us that story? Well, yeah, I was back in first grade and they sent all the kids out to sell candy bars to their friends and relatives. Ideally, they were going to basically hand you a box or two and you go sold them to your family. Well, I went door to door and started knocking and selling candy bars and realized very quickly that people were just buying one and two at a time. So I had to figure out a way to get them to buy more. And so I just incorporated humor. I knocked on the door and when someone answered, I said, hey, do you have the phone number to a good roof repairman? And they're like, what? And I said, because when you taste one of these, you're going to go through the roof. (laughs) And so then on, did you move into, did you do anything up until the age of 17? Or was the next really big sales experience um, when you started selling cars at 17? Technically, the next big sales experience. But again, I mean, like second in, in junior high, when I went to school, it was seventh through ninth grade. So the junior high, when I went, started going to junior high, I would stop at this little red store on the way to school because I walked to school and I would stop at the store and the $2 that my parents gave me for lunch money, I would go in and buy five packs of bubble yum or bubblicious, you know, and some, and some items, spend my $2, go to school and start selling the, what I've just bought for $2 for, you know, $5. So I would go around and sell bubble gum and crap like that for someone that didn't stop at the store. So I was kind of entrepreneurial like that, but really not in sales sales until until 17. And so how did you get into selling cars at, at 17? Was this something that you were looking to do or? No, uh, I was getting pressure from the family to go get a real job. You know, and again, everybody was blue collar laborers, loggers, mill workers, and a, re- a real job to them meant, you know, you're getting X amount of dollars an hour and you work certain hours a month, a week. So, you know, I obliged and I went out and I got a job fighting forest fires or so I thought. So I show up for the first day at 4 a.m. in the morning to ride the bus another hour and a half up into the mountains. And again, from what I thought, go fight forest fires. So I thought I was going to be all cool 
you know, I imagined myself in a flannel shirt with soot on my face, looking like a stud. And when I got there, there was no fire, but there was a lot of smoke. So the fire had already passed. Mm. They told me to, they told me to pick up this backpack filled with water. They called it a piss bag and go around and squirt the stumps that were still smoldering. So the real firefighters didn't have to come back and put out more fires. Hmm. So I, I was like a grunt worker. And so I put on this heavy ass backpack and I started traipsing up and down the mountains, pissing on these stumps that were smoldering. I was getting poked in the eye. I was getting poison oak. I was sweating. It was miserable. So within a few days, I developed a little patch of poison oak on my arm, just a little patch about the size of a quarter. And I, you know, it bothered me, of course, poison oak itches. And it's like, oh, so I went into the boss and I said, listen, I can't come in tomorrow because, you know, I got poison oak right here. And they ripped off or he ripped off his shirt and basically his whole entire body or upper body was covered in poison oak. Wow. And, and he's like, dude, that's part of the game. Now, now, now quit bitching and get out there and do your job. And so I obviously went back out to finish my job for that day, but uh, couldn't do it. I quit. I'm like, dude, I, I, are you telling me that I need to be covered in poison oak to have this job? And basically, yeah, like it's part of the job. And so I said, pound sand, I'm out. So they made me wait in the bus until the bus finally went back down to the city I got off the bus and quit and said, I ain't ever coming back. So I went to the newspaper to find a job, opened it up. There was an ad in the paper for selling cars. I went in and applied. They let me wear a suit. They gave me a free car. And I'm thinking, dude, this can't be real. Like they're going to give me a free car to drive. They're going to pay me money to sell cars to the customers that were coming in looking for them. It wasn't like I had to go to the grocery store and talk someone into coming to buy a car. I mean, they were already coming in for a car. All I had to do was show them the cars. And so the free car sold me, but so I, so I got the job. I technically lied because I wasn't quite 18. So I lied, said I was 18 and uh, started selling cars. And so what are some of the biggest lessons and experience you took away from, from selling cars? You know, I think selling cars is an incredible boot camp to get in the world of sales because you get a lot of different types of customers. You get a lot of different things that happen on a day to day basis. Um, and I think what it taught me is, uh, you know, not everybody's the same. It taught me to listen because in order to sell something, you really need to find out from the customer how to build the value. Because an exchange is made when the value of the product exceeds the value of their money. And the only person that will allow you to figure out exactly what they value is the customer. Right. So it taught me to listen. And, and I used to think selling was all about talking when in reality, it's more about listening. And so after how long did you were you selling cars for? Well, I mean, you know, in the car business, you tend to jump around from dealership to dealership. So I sold cars for, for quite a while, you know, but I took little detours along the way as well and then ended up coming back. And, you know, so off and on, I sold cars for, you know, probably 15 years, but I didn't just sell them. You know, I, I worked my way up. I was a salesman, then I was a closer, then I was a finance uh, guy, and then I was the finance director, and then I was the general sales manager. Then I was the general manager. So I ran car dealerships also. But my point is about 15 years overall in the business off and on. I'd, I'd quit because, you know, I didn't want to sell cars. I wanted to sell something more prestigious. So I went and got a job selling art. You know, I was selling Chagall's and Renoir and Monet and, you know, Picasso's. And, you know, then they, they changed their pay plan, which made me quit there. So again, I was kind of a jack off, just bouncing around to sales job, cars, RVs. One time I sold RVs. That was a funny story. But anyway, off and on 15 years. And so what made you uh, then move on to start the company that you, you've now grown to such a big company now? Well, I was working at a, at a car dealership at the time and there was a lot porter who's the people that wash the cars and he was a really cool guy and I and I you know, wanted to help him. So I basically said, let me teach you how to sell. 
you know, and so I taught him how to sell. He went from making minimum wage, sweating his ass off to, to making 15 grand a month inside with a tie and, you know, just changed his life. His wife became happier. Their relationship became better. Their kids became more confident and happy because they got new shoes when before they couldn't afford things. You know, they'd take vacations. It was like literally I changed their whole entire life. And so when I saw that, I'm like, dude, I've got the power to change lives. What am I sitting here pedaling cars for? So I want to go help people learn to make more money and change their life. So I quit my job to go start a training company. Well, when I went out on the road to actually start doing it, I quickly realized it wasn't working very well. And I was working my ass off. And I started to do a research to figure out why it wasn't working. I mean, I just did it with this other guy. Why can't I now go out and do it for everybody else? So I discovered four ingredients that, that I didn't realize were key. And it was good content, right? Because if you train them effectively to do it wrong, they'll do it wrong. So you got to have the right way to do it in the first place. So good content. Then you needed repetition. People don't learn once. It's over and over and over and over. Then I needed practice, right? You got to let people practice so they can get more confident and comfortable. And then I needed um, accountability. See, so when I worked over at this organization and I did it in person, the, the individual worked for me. We went over things over and over again. I held them accountable. I listened to what they were saying and I said, that's not right. And I, and I coached them and I mentored them. Well, how was I supposed to do this out on the road? You know, they didn't work for me. I was only there for a day or a workshop. It just wasn't working. So I knew I had to create something that would allow me to be everywhere at once, to deliver the information repeatedly, even though I had somewhere to go. And I, and I kind of envisioned uh, light speed. And then I went out to find people that could build it. And then I ran into my partner, Jason, who knew how to build it. And so we built it and then it worked really well for me and it, and it solved my problem. And then it dawned on me that other people would are probably having the same challenge. So I decided to go start showing other trainers, other experts, and then they started using it. And then boom, boom, boom. Next thing you know, we're doing millions of dollars and I'm Mr. Cool. With you understanding these four points of, of good content, repetition, uh, practice and role play and accountability, how long do you think this cycle takes in order for people to become competent in whatever they're, well, in closing or, or selling? Well, it depends on how much time they put in, how much practice they do. You know, you can't control all of those variables. But with the Lightspeed training system, and keyword being system, it's a system. But with the Lightspeed system, you can do it a hell of a lot faster. But again, if someone's not logging in, if they're not willing to actually do the work, the, the Lightspeed training system turns into an idiot detection system. Mm -hmm. Because imagine if you had 10 employees, you gave them the information to do better for themselves, their families, and for you and your business, and they just didn't log in. They just weren't interested in getting better. Well, you just took a training system and turned it into an idiot detection system because you just identified all the idiots you should probably get rid of. And so I think this ties in really well with um, understanding how people are motivated. What are your thoughts on how comfort and discomfort act as motivators well dude people want to be comfortable so you know people constantly seek comfort but the ir irony of it all is if you really want to be comfortable which we all do you need to seek discomfort because the more uncomfortable you are the more comfortable you'll become isn't that crazy and then the opposite is true if you seek comfort the more comfortable you are, the more uncomfortable you'll become. So if you really want to be comfortable, well, then seek discomfort. That's where the growth is. That's where the success is. That's where the, the magic lies. And then you end up comfortable. But people have it backwards. They think, hey, if I want to be comfortable, I need to seek comfort. No, it's the opposite. You need to be uncomfortable to get comfortable and you need to be and if you get comfortable, you'll be uncomfortable. So not it's a it's a, it's opposite. It's like a mirror effect. 
And how important do you think is the congruence of your thoughts and actions alongside with the perseverance of, of not quitting? Well, obviously, you know, these are rhetorical questions. 100% important. Like, dude, if, if, if your actions don't map to your intentions, well, then you're, you're basically just bouncing around doing nothing. You know, don't mistake, never mistake activity with progress. Hmm. In order to be successful, one of the keys that you've mentioned is that you have to be good at, at solving problems. And you just mentioned, more importantly, is that you actively seek to seek out problems to solve. Why do we have to constantly look for the problems instead of the solution? Well, you look for problems so you can bring a solution. You know, you can't have a solution to a problem you're not aware of. So at the end of the day, what I say is seek problems, look for problems. Most people run from problems. They avoid problems. Nobody wants problems. Why? Because they want to be comfortable. Com problems are uncomfortable. So my advice is to look for problems so you can provide solutions. And, and, and it goes back to practice. If every day you practice the Rubik's Cube, you see those guys that can do it like this? Yeah. Well, that's because they, they've done a lot of it. Okay, nobody picked up a Rubik's Cube and started doing this. So you seek problems so you are constantly practicing solving them, so, you know, finding solutions, thinking the right way, thinking outside the box, looking at it from a different perspective. So if you only have one problem a month versus someone that has problems every single day of their life, who do you think is going to be better at solving problems and not just solving problems, but being resilient? You know what I'm saying? Building a thicker skin, mm -hmm. not letting problems get you down and make you quit, uh, give up. So it, it starts to condition people to where they become more brazen, more bold, more uh, risk taking. Like you've never seen a strong sailor get created in calm seas. And, and so the first element you said that um, before you should look to be good at solving problems is that you have to take a chance. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, yeah. I mean, dude, you're either going to take a chance or work for someone who did. That's the bottom line. Like too many people are afraid to jump. Like, you know, they want everything to be perfect. They want to feel comfortable before they make the move. And it's like, listen, just get started. I know people that travel around and go to all these masterminds and all these conferences and, and they never do anything. All they do is go to these conferences and learn. Well, dude, you're going to learn by doing also. So what you do is a blend, man. You go learn and then you apply and you practice and you repeat. If it doesn't work, tweak it, make a slight adjustment, figure out what the audience is saying, figure out what the problems are, solve them. And, and if you're not doing it, you're just learning how to do it and you never do it. <clears throat> you're not going to get the practical application that you will when you actually do it. So when you when I say take a chance, it, it, there's a lot of people that are just too afraid to take a chance. A lot of people wouldn't have quit their job like I did. A lot of people would have sat there and said, well, what about this and what about that? And it's like, look, bro, take a chance or work for someone who will. Mm -hmm. And so what do you think differentiates a good closer compared to a world-class closer? Um, that's a good question. You know, a good, a good closer understands how to get people to say yes, and a world-class closer um, understands that not only do they have the ability to do so, but they make the customer feel like it was them who made the decision. And how do you think um, they go by becoming good closes, go by becoming world-class closes? Like what are the, the tweaks that they're trying to, to improve on and, and actively change? Well, knowledge really, because again, with applied knowledge, that's when the magic happens. So a world-class closer probably just has more experience than the other ones. Um, experience goes a long way. Like example, you know, you have a football team that's been to three world championships or Super Bowls. You know, they're they're used to the pressure. They're used to the crowds. They, they have a little advantage because they've been to three as opposed to someone who's never been. Doesn't mean they're going to win. But a world class closer probably has, you know, more experience, more scenarios, more practice, more wins and more skill sets, more. You know, you can get deep with closing. 
Find out why people are buying. Find out psychologically why they do what they do. Get into neuroscience. Get into NLP. Get into human behavior. You know what I'm saying? And and cognitive biases. And you really start studying. So I think the difference between a good closer and a world-class closer boils down to knowledge. And so for people that are looking into skill set of, of sales and closing, what kind of recommendations would you, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, I'd tell them to go to closerschoollive.com and sign up at least for the four time a month coaching program I'm doing because I'm taking average Joes and making them freaking sales pros. But that's beside the point. I would tell them to, to, to find someone that they like, whether it be Grant Cardone or Brad Lee or you know, there's a lot of sales trainers out there. And quite frankly, they can all tell you they're the greatest. I'll bet you 90% of them are saying the same shit as every other one because, you know, sales is sales. The question is, who do you like the delivery of? Whose personality resonates with you? If you're an introvert, I've got a guy named Jerry Acuff, who's an excellent sales trainer, and he does extremely well with people that are introverted and don't feel like they can be salespeople. And then if you're a if you're a you know a go-getter, an aggressive A-type, Grant Cardone is lovely with those people because Grant is also that way. I'm like a blend in between. I'm like I'm like Casanova. Like, in other words, I'm smooth, but I can also rip your head off if you get lippy. So I'm I'm able to live in either environment. But then again, I'm a world-class closer. So at the end of the day, I would say seek the knowledge from somebody that you're going to listen to. Like, again, if you join closer school and all you're doing is shaking your head, thinking what I'm saying is stupid, you should immediately cancel and go find somebody else or go get a damn sales job and learn the hard way. But either way, look, you're going to learn with or without courses. You're going to learn with or without reading books if you just go do it. And you know how you're going to learn? The hard way. It's going to take you 10 times longer. You're going to cost yourself a lot of money. You're going to go through a lot of brain damage. If your skin isn't thick enough, you're probably going to quit like a little bitch anyway. Because again, you can really get beat up in sales. If your mindset's not properly situated and you don't realize the the the, the truth, which is, first of all, you're going to talk to a lot of people that aren't even, you shouldn't even be talking to. So when they say no, you take that personally and all of a sudden you're making a judgment on on fishing in the wrong pond. When you when you all you have to do is make a slight adjustment and all of a sudden you'd be finding success. See, people don't know this unless they've read and they understand from the people that have already had the pain, right? So my advice would be to find someone that you resonate with, you like their style, you like their information, go and study what they're telling you to study and and by the way when I say study train like in other words if you heard it once that's not training you got to hear it multiple times you got to hear it so many times you're starting to get annoyed listening to it you can damn near lip sync what they're going to say then you have to go out and actually apply it you have to go out and practice it okay so you listen with repetition you go through the content with repetition then you go apply it and practice it and pay attention and see what's working and what's not Maybe your accent, maybe your region, maybe you're selling high ticket versus low ticket. There's all these variables that you'll that you'll dial in. It's like a it's like an equalizer on a stereo, man. You know, some people like more treble, some people like more bass. Well, you're talking to a lot of different individuals. You need to be able to master that switchboard to where, hey, someone rolls up, let me throw a little more bass in the deal. Oh, someone rolls up, now let me do it with a little more treble. It's almost like an artist. So again, how do you do that? You learn, you practice, you repeat, and then there's accountability. You have to you have to be disciplined and accountable. A lot of people give up too easily and they don't hold themselves accountable to a rigorous training environment. And do you think that the one of the main factors that closes like you are able to operate at such a high level is you you're able to listen. You the attentiveness to, to listening is on another level compared to an average closer? Yeah, hundred percent. Not only that, reading between the lines, you know what I'm saying? So here, I'll give you a little example. And it sounds like you've looked at a lot of my content, so you might know the answers, but check this out. Listen to me, pay attention. You ready? Yeah. yeah. All right. So let me find my, my props here. I need a nickel. Where's my nickel? 
All right, I, so let's. I know the answer, so I might I might just keep quiet so the the audience can have a have a guess. Right. Okay. So listen, Bob's mom has three kids. This one, I'm holding up a dime. Its name's Demetrius. This one, I'm holding up a nickel. Is named Nicholas. This one, I'm holding up a quarter. What's the third one's name? Now people will sit there and try and figure that out, and they're like, I don't know. If you were listening, you would know because you would be thinking in your head, Bob's mom has three kids. Okay, well, it must be Bob. And when people are literally listening to that, they get it every time. But when they're listening to respond, because most people listen so they can answer, right? So I'm thinking about what I'm going to say while you're talking. Well, if I'm thinking about what I'm going to say while you're talking, am I actually listening? And so with asking the right questions, what do you have a certain type of framework when you're when, when you're going through your mind of, on developing such questions to, to when you're speaking with customers? Well, absolutely, because you, 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 you're trying to find val- you're trying to find what the customer values. So questions that you pose will either lead you to those answers or you're just going to have random questions that mean nothing. So like if I say, Chris, do you like ice cream? Yes. Excellent. Uh, uh, what about balloons? You like balloons? No. Okay, good. Well, now let me show you the, 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 the iPhone selection. Like what the hell does ice cream and balloons have to do with that? So relevant questions, questions that would be intelligent would be, what kind of phone do you have now? Mm-hmm. And they say, I've got an iOS uh, or whatever they're called. Uh, uh, what are the Androids? You say, oh, I've got the Android. Well, what do you like about the Android? Oh, I hate everything about it. It's, it's hard to use. You know, it's too big. See, they start telling you what they value. If it's too big, what kind of phone are they looking for, Chris? Uh, smaller, smaller type phone. Right. Now, they didn't say they're looking for a smaller phone, but if I'm listening, their phone's too big. They want a smaller one. Their, their calls drop a lot. They want, they want a, a more reliable service. The bills are too high. Oh, they want it a little bit cheaper. So now when I start showing you my phone and I have all this information because I asked the right questions and listened, I can provide value for this phone based on your particular interests, wants, likes, and interests. But if I didn't ask those questions, which most salespeople, believe it or not, they do not know this technique. You know what they start doing? You walk in and I say, Chris, let me show you this, man. This is the new iPhone. See how big it is? Look how big it is. It's freaking awesome. Well, why, why am I saying how big it is? By the way, I could sell you the same phone by saying, hey, look at this new iPhone. And, and what's really cool about it is, is, is how small and compact it is. Even though it's the same size, I just told you it's small and compact. You're like, hey, I like that. So anyway, there's just an example. But dude, it, it, you know, it goes deep. It goes deep. Your, your skill set and listening has to be practiced. Your, your ability to ask the right questions needs to be practiced and you start to learn better and better questions. And then you start to become able to say things in 10 words where you used to use 20 words. You know what I'm saying? And pretty soon you become more concise and precise. And next thing you know, you just become better. And how do you use questions to, you, you've just mentioned that you use questions to raise the value perceived by the customer. And when the value is higher than the price, that's when transaction takes place. And how do you use questions to raise the value? I use questions to get information and then I use the information to, to build the value. So the questions is a tool to get the information. The information is what I use to build the value. So for example, if you walked into a car dealership and I was telling you how fast this car is and how many chicks you're going to get, and then I found out, oh, it's for your daughter? Oh, sorry about that. Well, yeah, this thing ain't very fast. Like if I would have just asked questions, who's the car for? Oh, it's for my daughter. Oh, well, let me show you how safe this car is and how affordable the insurance is, although how much your daughter's going to freaking love you because this is so popular with the teenage girls or the 16-year-old girls right now. Like, I don't know, I don't know if you love your daughter, Chris, but let me tell you something. She's going to love you. Okay, so now I'm selling you your daughter's love. Well, how do I how did I know you had a daughter if I didn't ask the question? Mm. And some people might be like, "Hey, so you got any kids?" 
It's like, dude, make the questions relevant to the to the experience. If some salesman starts coming up trying to get to know me like they're my friend, well, that's awkward shit. Like, like, don't just start acting like we're we're about to be besties. Like, make it relevant to why I'm there and and that type of thing. You know, so hey, who's the car going to be for? Same thing with furniture. Walk into a furniture store. Salesman walks up, says, "Hey, how you doing?" I say, "Great. What are you looking for?" I say, "I'm looking for a chair." Oh, dude, I got some of the best chairs ever. Follow me. Look at this one. This one's constructed. It's going to last forever. It's so comfortable. It make. It, I mean, this chair is so awesome, and the and the price is ninety percent off. I say, "No thanks," and I walk out. Salesman doesn't know what he did wrong. Well, listen to this. The chair was intended to replace a chair that the judge told me I had to replace in a divorce. So in my, and I'm making this up just as an example. And my wife and I can't stand each other. Well, he just told me how comfortable this chair is going to be and how long it's going to last and what a great deal it is. I don't want that bitch having that chair. I, I, I barely want her breathing air. Like I'm pissed at this individual. Well, dude, if I would have walked in and said, who's the chair for? The customer would have said, you know, I got to freaking get my bitch ex-wife a, a chair in my divorce settlement. And if the salesman was world-class, they would have walked over and said, well, let me just show you a chair. Look at this chair. It looks kick-ass. So, so the judge will be happy, but dude, this thing ain't going to last, but longer than two weeks. And it's uncomfortable <laughs> as hell. And it's on sale. Sold. See what I'm saying? There's a difference. It's most salespeople just walk up, make assumptions, run their mouth, and try to build value based on what they perceive the value to be. And a lot of times you make a sale because guess what? You matched the same perception your customer had. But a world-class, a really good individual is going to realize that, listen, I'm not going to sell you anything until I find out how to build the value. Now, according to you particularly, so when I walk up to a customer, I'm going to talk to him for about four, five, ten minutes in conversation, finding why are you here? What is this for? What are you replacing? What'd you like about that? What didn't you like about that? And then I'm also going to use my knowledge that the customer probably doesn't have of the industry, the product, the comparisons the values, the features, the advantages, the benefits. And then I'm going to gracefully with open transparency, sincerity, and the, and the, and the, you know, the, the, I want to help the customer, not sell them. Like, in other words, you come buy something for me. I'm looking to help you before I'm looking to sell you. If I can't help you, I don't want to sell you. So in order for me to see if I can help you, I need to ask some questions like for Lightspeed. Oh, you, you want a place where you can host videos and give people access? Yeah. Well, that's not Lightspeed. Lightspeed's an actual training system that's developed to get the people to actually learn what's in it. So if you don't really care if they're learning, you're just looking to get your 95 bucks and give them access to your video. You don't necessarily need Lightspeed for that. Shit, you can go use any of them. But if someone says, no, I really care about teaching people because people are dying or, or you know, people are going to jail or people are getting divorced or people are getting fired or people are not being able to eat correctly. Well, the reason why all that's happening is because the people you're talking about don't have the right knowledge. My mission is to get the knowledge from the people who have it to the people who need it. And Lightspeed is the absolute most advanced system on earth in order to do that. So, again, there's just a little bit of, of reasons, but shit, I forgot your question now. No worries. What do you find is the biggest mistakes that amateur closers are making when they're dealing with objections? Well, there's no such thing as an amateur closer. Or, I mean, amateur salesperson then. Well, you know the difference between a salesperson and a closer? Closers begins when the customer first says, no. That's right. What are you in my closer school? No, but I study a lot of your work. Yeah, that's true. Like, like dude, everyone wants to be called a closer because it sounds cool. Like, I'm a closer. A lot of times, dude, you're just a salesman. And and again, there's nothing wrong with a salesman. If I could arrange to never be a closer again, I would do it. Because that means nobody's ever going to tell me no again. So a salesman's job is to sell the product. So a customer walks in the door, 
The customer says, yes, you didn't close the deal. You sold the product. See the difference? So being a salesman is not less than a closer. That's a different operation. It's a different movement. So like, again, a dancer is not a gymnast, but a gymnast could be a dancer. You see what I'm saying? Mm. So at the end of the day, a salesman and a closer are two different things. A salesman's job is to sell the product. A closer's job is to get a customer from a no to a yes. So if you came in and you said, okay, I'm leaving, I'm going to wait, I'm going to think about it. Now I need to become a closer or bring one in to get that customer to consummate a deal now or soon after they said no. So a closer gets someone from a no to a yes. And how important is it, does mindset play when becoming an effective closer? And what is the necessary effective mindset to have? Well, mindset's important in being a human being. Okay. Your whole life is based on mindset and perspective. So that's why Closer School says we make better humans. I mean, we're improving people's lives, home lives, relationships, not just financial gain from being a better salesperson or closer we're showing people how to be better people but the mindset's important in all of it so again if you have the the the, the, a bad mindset you might still do well in sales but if you just corrected your mindset or had a the, the the right mindset you would triple sales because again you know oh business is down i'm gonna take today off nobody's coming in anyway okay so you just took the day off because your mindset you know, I'm looking at this guy. Oh, he doesn't look very wealthy. I'm not even going to talk to that guy. He's probably a bum. Okay, you got a bad mindset, negative mindset. Hey, I'm unconfident, right? That's mindset. Your confidence is mindset, perspective, things of that nature. So mindset and perspective is absolutely paramount. If you go out and try to become a great salesperson or a great closer, and you have a bad mindset, you'll never, you'll never achieve where you're going. But on the way, you'll start to realize mindset's key and hopefully you'll work on that. And that's how you end your journey at where you want to be. Mindset. I mean, I think I, I would start with mindset. And so what kind of advice would you give to people to start building the, the strong foundation of the, the correct mindset? Is that through uh journaling is that through meditation is that through what would you say yeah i would i would say it's a blend of all those i mean you know you you want you want an individual to f first seek knowledge okay like like if you really got off here and wondering you know how do i like change my mindset in order to change someone's behavior you have to change their belief right so let's just break it down to logic i'm not happy with where i am in life Okay, so what's causing what's happening? I am with my behaviors, my habits. That's what's causing everything. So in order to change what I'm getting, I have to change what I'm doing. And in order to change what I'm doing, I have to change what I believe. See what I'm saying? So to change someone's behavior, you change their belief. And to change what they're getting, you change their behavior and their habits. So it's real easy to do, but you just have to start. So if you're like, well, how do I change my mindset? First, pick up a book, start reading, start listening to other people's opinions, thoughts, beliefs. Then you can determine whether they align with yours. You see, so now you start reading. Then you start basically understanding or being exposed to new techniques, new beliefs, new perspectives. And then you start to change yours. See what I'm saying? It's like, you know, uh, there's a lot of people that never understood what 10X means. Well, Grant Cardone kind of made 10X famous, although he didn't invent that. There were people way before him talking about 10X. But what he did is he is he got everyone to understand it. So now 10X, if I said to you, what does 10X mean? It means to 10 times your, your results to, to do to reach your full potential, to reach for the highest. Yeah, well, it actually means to do, you know, to, to set your goals 10 times higher, right? So if you're going to go after a million, you might as well go after 10 because if you fail, you end up at two. So if your goal is a million, 10x that. You know, if you think that you're going to have to work 40 hours, 10x that, okay? 
plan on working 400 hours. If you think it's going to take four weeks, 10x that. Plan on it making 40 weeks. So you start to shoot higher, think higher, think bigger, do bigger, act bigger. So basically it's about it's about 10xing your whole life. Well, how did people hear about that? His book, and that's what it talks about. So a lot of people align with what he said in that book, which is why he can have, you know, thousands of people show up to 10x growth con. Why? Because they want to 10x their life and that's where I'm going to go learn how to do it. Some people come in, they become you know, disciples. Some people come in and say, oh, this is stupid. Well, who's right? The disciples or the people leaving? Well, that's what you call their own opinion. See what I'm saying? So everybody's different. So it's hard to say, here's how you do it. I can tell you how I do it and how I did it is I read and then I thought, okay, reading makes me think. And then I went out and tried it because I'm open and then I decided after I tried it whether or not I believe it. And a lot of the things I picked up or learned or, or tried, it worked. And guess what? My belief started being, oh, you mean if you get up early in the morning and work out, your life gets better? Let me try it. I started trying it. And sure enough, I start looking better. I start having more fun. I start attracting more people. I start having better friends. Oh, you mean you have to weed out your friends? You can't let negativity in your life? Well, let me try it. Hey, let me get rid of all these people in my life because they're negative. And all of a sudden your, your life's better. And you're like, holy crap, that worked. Well, now you start to form those beliefs. So to answer your question simply, how do you do it? You pick up a book, you talk to somebody, you join a mastermind, you take a course and you start to learn other beliefs, other opinions, other perspectives. And then you start to change yours based on what you found. And then you apply them and you'll start to get new beliefs. And have you implemented any of these habits and routines into your daily life that you do on a daily basis that you found very effective for yourself? Oh, absolutely, dude. I wake up grateful every morning, especially now that I'm getting older. Most people take life for granted. I'll give you an example, dude. If I gave you a million bucks, would you freak out? Would you be excited throughout the day? Nobody could get you down. Nobody could piss on your parade. Nobody could bum you out. You just got a million handed to you, right? Right. You think you'd be excited for a few days? Of course. Okay. Every morning people wake up and they receive the news that they got a million dollars. What's more valuable to you, a million dollars or life? Life. Okay, so every morning you wake up, bro. You just got the news. You get another day. Are you, are you genuinely excited like you just got a million dollars? Are you? Should be. Should be, yes, but are you? I am. Good. Well, then you're one of the few because most people aren't. They wake up, first thing they think about, eh, I got to go to work. No, Dick, you get to go to work. See, that's a perspective. That's a mindset. So most people get up. I got to go to work. No, bro, you get to go to work. And, and I got to get up. No, sir, you're, you're capable of getting up. Like, isn't that exciting that you can get up and walk to the fridge? Because if you're not excited about that, go talk to someone that can't get up. And just say, listen, I'm going to wave a wand over you and I'm going to allow you to get up and walk again. Do you think that would be more important than a million dollars? For sure. Okay, that's because the person is not capable of walking, so they appreciate walking. I'm telling people, wake up every morning with the same enthusiasm as you just got a million dollars because you just received a gift far more valuable than a million dollars if you really believe that. And again, it goes back to changing your belief. I believe it. Today wasn't promised, bro. I'm excited as hell to be here. I'm excited to be on your podcast. I'm excited to figure out what's about to happen during the day. And I know there's problems coming. Guess what? Bring them on, people. I love solving challenges. See the difference? Or I could be sitting here doing this. Oh, why I got to do Chris's podcast? Is he paying me? Who's his listeners? Who's even going to be listening to this? This is bull crap. Why would I even be on this doing wasting my time? I'm big and fancy. I could be making some money. Why am I even at work? Work's just filled with people complaining and problems. Same exact life, two different perspectives. 
same exact life, two different perspectives. If I, if I operated on the latter, you would start to see me fade away and pretty soon you'd not hear of me. Why? Well, because that is a negative deteriorating, uh, uh, you know, cancerous mindset. So you don't want that mindset. So the habits that I've gotten into, I wake up grateful every single day. Okay. I got to a point where I realized I became aware. Okay. I realized that I've lied to myself a lot of times. I've let myself down on many occasions. I've lied to other people. I've literally put myself in front of other people a lot of times. And then I became aware. So guess what? No problem. Everybody makes mistakes, but damn it, you better fix it. So now first thing I did is apologize to myself. And that's who's important here. Apologize to myself. And then I committed to myself. I'm always going to do what I say I'm going to do. Always. I'm going to do what I, what I say I'm going to do. So whether we have a contract or not, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And that's, starts to make you a little more confident and a little more proud. So I forgave myself and then I committed to never, ever letting myself down again. And if I say something, I'm going to do it. And then I started setting small goals and the goals started happening because I said I, I do what I say. So the goals start happening. I start achieving goals, big or small. It doesn't matter. You, you, you start achieving goals and all of a sudden you start to realize I do what I say. I'm worth more. Hey, don't, don't, don't say that about me because I, I do what I say. I I'm, I'm there. I have ethics. I have integrity. You know, and next thing you know, man, you're all of a sudden confident and just that confidence changes the way people talk to you and think about you. And now all of a sudden people are reaching out to you, asking you questions they've never asked before, which lead to opportunities. And then pretty soon people value you. They're like, Hey, someone call Chris. He'll have the answer. Why? Well, because you've been consistent and because they, again, it's hard to explain, but yes, there's a lot of things that I incorporate every single day as daily habits. Here's the ones I would recommend for you. Wake up grateful every day. Okay. Always do what you say you're going to do. Always. And by the way, it's more important to do what you say you're going to do than someone else. In other words, if I tell Jay, I'm going to, I'm going to come help you move. Well, I'm going to come help you move because I said so. But I'm not doing it for Jay. Like, oh, Jay's going to be pissed. I don't really care if Jay's pissed. I'm doing it because if I don't do what I said I would, I'm going to be pissed at me. And you don't want to hate yourself, folks. You want to love yourself. And that's the problem. People are walking around numb. They don't realize that, that they shouldn't be worried about other people's judgment. I mean, at the end of the day, bro, if you know, there's another thing of being aware. Okay, awareness. You got to become self-aware. So at the end of the day, I'm aware that nothing I say on this podcast will ever fall on all favorable ears. Somebody's going to listen to this and not like the way I'm saying it. They're not going to like what I said. They're not going to like the shirt I'm wearing. They're not going to like the fact that I'm older than them or younger than them. They're not going to like the fact that you're on it. Like who, who knows? But I promise you. I'm aware to know not everybody's going to like what you do and say. Would you agree? Totally. 100%. Okay. Okay. So if you, if you know for a fact nothing you say or do will ever make everybody happy, then wouldn't it make sense just to do stuff that makes you happy because you can control you? So everything I do is designed to make me happy and I'm not worried about other people. That fear of judgment is, is literally not in me. And that's another reason I succeed and I can do things other people can't do. It's because I don't fear judgment. I don't. And again, it doesn't make me rude. See, a lot of people think, oh, so you're just rude and arrogant. No, bro. I understand that I can't make everybody else happy. So I might as well focus on making me happy because what's the whole purpose of life, man? To be happy. And it doesn't just mean money, even though money can buy happiness. It's not, it doesn't mean you need it to be happy. Like get up every morning and worry about you. Get up every morning and focus on you. What are your goals? Are you doing what you say? Are you becoming the person that you have the potential to be? Are you constantly growing and developing? If the answer is no, fix it. I'm telling you, especially if you're young. 
I mean, you got you got 15 year old kids nowadays with full blown businesses, thanks to the Internet and social media and things like that. When I was 15, dude, my only option was mow lawns and do side jobs for money under the table. Nowadays, dude, there could be a 15 year old digital marketing genius making 100 grand a month. My last question for you is if you were to be able to you, if you were to be stripped away from all of your money network and you have to start over again, what are the first three things you would do and why? The first thing, the first three things I would do is be thankful that um, I get another opportunity to try again because some people aren't going to get that opportunity. But what, what I do realistically is I'd probably pick up the phone and call some friends. And within an hour, I'd have written out all of the opportunities that my friends are going to provide to me because real friends provide opportunity. And if I got off the phone with 20 friends and there was no opportunity, there were no problems to solve, there was no way to, to do anything with them, well, then I would hang up and call my next 20 friends. And by the end of the day, I'd have 100 opportunities laid out and I'd take the one that best fit the day and the circumstances and I'd worry about, you know, zigging and zagging later. Wouldn't bother me at all. But if you're asking me what I would do, I'd probably get into marketing. It seems it seems to me that like right now in this day and age, if you really know how to market digitally and get massive traffic and attention, you have extreme value to a lot of people because everybody wants attention. Everybody wants to sell their product. Everybody wants customer eyeballs. Everybody wants marketing, but not very many know how to do it. Brad, I really appreciate you being on the show. For the people that want to follow you or keep up with what you're doing, where's the best place to find you? Man, I'm always on IG. You DM me, it's me talking. There's no team member that's going through there and reading things. It's all me. IG is the best place. And that's at the real Brad Lee, spelled L-E-A. Perfect. Thank you so much, Brad. Appreciate you being on the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me, man. You're a good interviewer. Thanks for tuning in again to today's episode. Whenever you are ready, the best way that Chris can help you is through his exclusive Facebook Marketing Mastermind group, where you and a community of like-minded individuals can ask your questions and share the answers. You will also find exclusive content that Chris will regularly share to the group that is only available to group members. Join now at locate852.com slash FB. The link is also in the description. 